0: Welcome back to Tea Time. I hope your retreat is going well and we have an opportunity this afternoon to do some more questions and answers on the development and full exploration of metta, friendliness, loving kindness. And I welcome your questions. So let us proceed with that.
1: Ajahn, our first question is from Anonymous from Tucson. During the guided metta meditation, I understood one of the instructions to be at rest in a sense of safety. However, as I started to sink into that feeling, my mind brought up a few vivid, vivid ways in which I might not be safe in the future. For example, if I were to be assaulted. I tried not to engage, but the images were still pretty unpleasant though they did not represent any actual memories thankfully any tips on how to deal with that
0: yes uh of course meta does not guarantee that you will never be beat up on the streets of tucson was it <laughs> it's a matter of like how do you want to feel uh first of all um perhaps that kind of thing uh is is somewhat rare but uh you, you, The feeling that you have that you walk through your entire life with is a matter of choices, and you have a choice whether to walk through with a sense of disarming friendliness. In other words, you are of no threat whatsoever to anybody. No one is worried about you. No animal is worried about you. No human is worried about you. And you, you have no ill will towards anybody. And that's your choice. Your choice about how you feel about other beings and how you will act towards other beings and how you will speak towards other beings is up to you. How other beings uh, feel about you or speak to you or act towards you is up to them, not up to you. And so it's not that we're telling you that if you develop a sense of loving-kindness, you will never encounter violence from any other being, etc. The sense of safety is just that. You, you either feel safe, which you might as well, um, or you feel in danger all the time. Now, if you feel endangered all the time, then you're, that's a very unpleasant um, experience and you become paranoid and so forth. It distorts your thinking. You don't have a good balanced sense of judgment etc. Now what happens though, I mean uh, you can, can you maintain a sense of loving kindness in the midst of violence, in the midst of aggression? And should you? Yes, you should. I a little story that I heard from the Dalai Lama. He was talking about after the Chinese had invaded uh, and taken over in Tibet, they locked up a lot of monks. First of all, they killed a lot of monks as well, but they locked up a lot of monks and some of them were in jail for 15 or 20 years. And during that time, the guards, the Chinese Red Guard, uh, would uh, regularly abuse them and uh, threaten them, etc. And Eventually they were released, and the Dalai Lama got to talk to them after they'd been let out. So he he recounted a a uh, interview he'd had with one, and this fellow had been a, an abbot in a monastery, and he'd been taken and put in jail for twenty years. And they the the Dalai Lama asked him how they treated him and so forth, and they they treated him very badly. Sometimes beat him up uh, with. Um, sticks and clubs and fists, and, uh, abusive uh, attitudes, uh, also an attempt to, dis, to distract them from any possibility of meditation. So they, they, they didn't want them meditating. By the way, uh, in uh, the Tibetan tradition, certain tra- t- Tibetan traditions, they, they meditate with their eyes open. So the guards were thinking that whenever they closed their eyes they were meditating but actually they meditate with their eyes open so <laughs> that seemed to have escaped the guards so the the monks did have an opportunity to meditate anyway the the Dalai Lama asked him finally after hearing the horrors of this he said were you ever afraid and the monk thought for a while and said yeah once or twice i was afraid and The Dalai Lama asked him, what were you afraid of? He said, I was afraid I was going to get angry. So that is the thing you need to fear. Either your own fear or your own anger. It's not what happens to you, it's how you deal with things. And it's your own mind that is the most problematic, the most dangerous to you. It's not somebody else... um, hitting you, or something like this. Notice that you can reframe any situation. Uh, there are people who get hit for a living, aren't there? They're called boxers, or wrestlers, or sports. They, they if you notice, they savagely beat each other up, and then the moment the bell rings, they hug. <laughs> and they have no, no hard feelings. So it's not the fact that your body is being struck, now, think also of uh, you know, walking into a, a, an open door like hitting your face on a door or, a, or a stubbing your toe on a, on a rock or a stump or falling down on ice and how you distinguish between that and somebody intentionally doing something, some sort of uh, violence to you. You don't have resentment to the ice, you don't have resentment to the door. It's an accident, but the, the harm done to your body is the same. So why would you uh, have a, a large, you know, a sense of, of fear and anger and resentment just because the, uh, the blow or the injury is inflicted by a human rather than just the, the, the numbers of different sharp objects in the world that can hurt you. The weather, high winds, waves, all kinds of things. Um, are dangerous to our vulnerable body. So we have to decide how we're going to walk through this world. And quite often it's because you know we project onto uh, another person as an agent and they shouldn't do what they're doing. But there is there is no should. There just is reality. Some people are aggressive, harmful, everything. You have a choice. You can either participate in that or respond unskillfully with fear, or you can walk through life with a sense of ease and friendliness, fully realizing that you are vulnerable and that you're not able to always prevent these things from happening. They are part of the possibilities of a human life. You need to decide how you're going to walk through this life, and you commit yourself to that. And if you do you will probably have a more skillful response to these situations including what you do say when you're confronted as well by by people uh, if you if you have to talk your way out of a situation it's much better if you have some calm and lucid and friendly uh, types of uh, responses so that is the the idea is that you're not simply magically protected from all these things externally, but magically you are protected emotionally from all these things. And if you have an encounter without fear, without terror and everything, it's much like it, it will not leave a mark on your future, your memory, etc. You will be able to let it go and dismiss it. Now this, this is connected also to other things, uh, a realistic sense of the body and a no kind of idea that your body is, is sacred and special and shall never be harmed by the rest of the world. Get over that. It's uh, it's very vulnerable. It's it's prone to sickness, aging, death, and injury along the way, and it is just basically. Uh, something that has grown by itself that you didn 't make it 's a product of nature owned by Mother nature, and so you just take care of it as well as you can, uh, protect it as you would any uh, anything you cared about, but realize that it is uh, subject to getting scratched up in the world so that 's the kind of the attitude that you can navigate with and so uh, you can you can even deliberately. Imagine situations where you do have violent encounters. You are beaten up on the street. <laughs> Somebody spits in your face. Go ahead and practice your loving kindness ahead of time so that you can pull it off when it happens. Don't wait for it to happen. You can, you can practice stressful situations and remain in this condition of patience, equanimity, or loving kindness. And uh, do practice ahead of time. So that's a little a little bit about that. Let's have our next question.
1: Our next question is from Srima W in Calgary, Canada. Of the four divine abidings, Brahma Viharas, is loving kindness, metta, the most important for our daily lives? What about karuna, mudita, and upeka? Is there a single word for metta that says it all?
0: Yes, um Let's t- first of all, for the general audience, I want to explain some of those words. So, metta we are, we understand as loving kindness, friendliness. But she mentioned three more, and uh, the second one was karuna, which is roughly translated in English as compassion. The third one is mudita, which is uh, sympathetic joy. In other words. When somebody else has something good happen to them and they're happy, then you rejoice in their well-being, their happiness, their good fortune. And then the th- the last one, the fourth one, is this uh, upeka, which is uh, equanimity. That is a kind of a, a sense of perfect non-reaction to, to situations. Balanced uh, stability in the midst of the changes and ups and downs of the world, both good fortune and bad fortune. So these are what are called the four sublime abidings. Now we're doing a whole retreat basically on the first one which is Metta. And how do the other three play out? Or do they get a second billing or what? Um, They're all useful. But let me say that compassion, the second one, and the third one Mudita or sympathetic joy is are just subcategories of metta so this is important to know to think about metta is loving kindness and and it is without concern for the object so you're not interested in whether the the person or animal or other being deserves the loving kindness you're not interested if they're if they qualify or not you're not interested whether they're happy or sad uh suffering or rejoicing you're not interested in that you're just radiating this profound goodwill indifferent to any specific attributes of this being that you're radiating to or towards and you you don't even have to have an individual in mind you're this feeling of goodwill towards all beings doesn't have to you don't have to have some sort of face of somebody in in your mind. You can you can radiate it to an individual, but you can radiate it in general as well. So now the next thing is the category is those who are suffering. And so compassion is loving kindness for those who are suffering. And I wanna talk a little bit about this. It's very important. This is one of the worst, the least understood emotions in the West. We don't have a, a, a grip on it, and there, it's badly taught to us. We're supposed to be very sensitive to others' suffering. We, in fact, are told to suffer along with them. They're grieving, then you're grieving. They're sad, then... You remember Bill Clinton saying, I feel your pain? No, you don't. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can't feel my pain (laughs) you and why would you inflict pain on yourself because I have pain then there's two of us in pain right wouldn't it be better if there was just one of us in pain so this thing about compassion must be understood it is loving kindness for those who are suffering it is not grief sorrow pain sadness for those who are suffering, not that. That would be suffering for those who are suffering. We don't want you to suffer. So the essence of Buddhism is the uh, elimination, the overcoming, the removal of suffering. <clears throat> Does that make you an insensitive person? No. You know, uh, when you go to the hospital and, the, and you, you, you've been in a bad accident or maybe you've gotten covid and you're—it's bad, and they're taking you into the ICU, the inter- intensive care unit. Do you want the nurse to come over or the doctor to come over and break into tears at your situation, helplessly weep and feel your pain? I don't think so. I think you want a different doctor. <laughs> I don't. I don't want the nurse or the doctor to burst into tears. I don't even want them to be sad. I don't care how badly I'm injured. I want them to be competent. (laughs) And I want them to be loving, in other words, to care about me, but I don't want them to suffer for me. (laughs) Uh, Then they'll be dysfunctional. And by the way, that's what doctors and nurses have to learn. That's all you deal with is sick, injured, suffering people all day long. If you think the proper response to other people's suffering is to suffer, you won't last very long as a doctor or a nurse. And that would be a shame because you're very, very useful for fixing up people. And you won't be useful if you think that compassion is sympathetic suffering. It's a motivation, but it'll burn you out. You won't be able to to live with that all the time. So you must set that aside and instead your loving-kindness manifests as your willingness to study for four years, six years, eight years to find out how to fix people. This goes for uh, people in the helping prof- all the helping professions. Uh, you know, people have to show up, ambulance drivers have to show up at traffic accidents. And, and by the way, uh, a lot of them don't last very long because they, do, they are traumatized by the terrible sights they see. And that's too bad because now you've got to train another ambulance driver. So it it's much more efficient. The energies are better and much more thoughtful to understand the nature of loving kindness as a positive feeling towards those who are suffering. And so it's not sympathetic grief. It is loving kindness for those who are suffering. So in the midst of a... A ward of people who are are in very rough shape. The best thing you can do is walk around with a smile on your face, a cheerful word or two, and get the job done. And to go home and have a good night's sleep, and stay healthy yourself. And that's how that's the best and most effective attitude there is to the world. <clears throat> on the other, the next one, mudita, which is sympathetic joy, <clears throat> is to celebrate the the, um, the good the good fortune of the others. And you can, so you get to uh, enjoy their good fortune. Go ahead, enjoy their good fortune. So you get to love those who are suffering, which is a positive feeling, and you also get to enjoy the, the good fortune of others, which means that you can, you get a, a positive feeling about that as well. Now, those who would resent that or envy somebody else's success... A very dumb thing to do. You have an opportunity to enjoy their success, and that's, in other words, you get the same bennies as they do. Even though, so you go to a concert, and somebody has practiced for fifteen years in the in the basement. They come out on the stage and they play a beautiful concert, and everybody celebrates their virtuosity. And everything you get to to appre- appreciate it as if you just did the concert. That you're getting the 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 adoration and so forth. You you choose to identify with their happiness and their goodwill. And so then you uh, are enjoying this, the good fortune of other beings as if it was your own. <clears throat> and, it does, it, and it makes sense to do this for anybody, anybody who's happy. Now, what about people who are happy doing evil? Well, there, in fact, there's not that much happiness in the world. And if somebody manages to pull off a little happiness, even though they're unskillful, you celebrate their happiness, but not their lack of skill. You don't celebrate their evil, you celebrate their happiness. And, of course, if people do unskillful things, un- evil things, they will uh, lose. There is no In this universe, you don't win doing those things. Eventually, it catches up to you. It catches up to you emotionally. It separates you from the rest of beings it separates you from the possibilities of loving kindness and of compassion of sympathetic joy and so you live a miserable and alienated life we don't have to celebrate that we we wish that beings would have enough intelligence to do the right thing why do they do these negative things ignorance simply they have no idea what they're doing and so we all perhaps know what it is to make mistakes, have the wrong idea about things. And we're really appreciative if people don't hold it against us, that in, instead they they educate us or teach us the skills. So we also re- reserve our judgment. We don't have ill will towards those who do evil, etc. Because why would we do that to ourselves? Negative anger, hostility towards those who do evil would be an unwise thing for ourselves to do, <clears throat> does it mean we approve of it? Would injustice run rampant in the world if we didn't resent them? no there's all kinds of other motivations which get things done and um, prevent the prevent evil etc so uh, this is uh, the relationship the last one is equanimity and uh, it's uh, it is a sl- it is a different kind of quality but it It actually works well with um, with loving-kindness it's kind of like a knife and a fork together you know Uh, the fork is loving-kindness and the knife is the is is equanimity Uh, so the balance the centeredness the non-distress at the good fortunes and bad fortunes of other beings and in ourself we need to have that and that's something referring to what I talked about yesterday as the cool head the cool head is equanimity, the warm heart is loving-kindness. And these two things can function perfectly well together and should function perfectly well together. So in brief, that's the the nature of the four sublime abidings. This is not a four sublime abiding retreat. Somehow I managed to talk for 10 talks on just loving-kindness. So it would be a 40-talk uh, retreat if we did all four of those. I think I really could talk about compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, each one for 10 talks. But don't hold me to that promise.
1: Our next question is from Jean D. in Forestville, United States. Ajahn, apropos of sila as a foundation for META, how can one skillfully relate to remorse over harmful speech in the past? And also... A apprehension about unskillful speech today and tomorrow.
0: Yes, uh, first of all, the Buddha advises you this is going to be radical, a radical difference from the way most people see things. Again, this is, we just talked about how m- people misunderstand compassion as sympathetic ju- uh, grief. Now I'm going to talk about guilt uh, and remorse. The Buddha advises you not to feel guilty about the past. Isn't that nice? And/or remorse. Uh, remorse, the Buddha talks about remorse a lot, and he warns you not to do unskillful things because of remorse, but he doesn't recommend remorse. You have remorse. And it's because you acted in haste without thinking or on a negative emotion and then later on you rebalance your view, you become wiser and more calm and then you regret what you said. Now is that, is that a good thing to do? To regret it? To be, feel remorse? To feel guilt over it? The Buddha says no. And he has, gives quite a few examples of disciples of his that were, lived a very, very unskillful life. The favorite one is um, uh, Angulimala, the, uh, the terrible um, serial murderer <laughs> uh, who collected a necklace of his victim's fingers. At some point in his life, he converted uh, under the guidance of the Buddha and became absolutely harmless and wouldn't hurt or harm a fly. And uh, how would, after having done all of that harm out of various uh, misinformation and ignorance, uh, you would think he would just be swimming in in guilt and remorse over those actions. No. Slept like a baby, no bad dreams, Uh, and had an utterly pure uh, heart from that point on. He left the, all of that behind. And, that's, so the, and the Buddha recommends that you do that. Who, who did those crimes is not the one who is uh, now present. Why do we do those things Bec- out of ignorance? If we know that they're were wrong, we're suddenly not that person. We're not that person anymore. And we would not do it again. So here we go. So things done in the past should not be regretted or have remorse for. They should be reflected on and see the negative consequences for yourself and for others. And as regards to the present and the future, you will make a determination to do uh, things in a much more skillful way. You will speak more skillfully with loving-kindness, you will act more skillfully with loving kindness in the present and the future. But you will not uh, dwell on the past, your negative deeds from the past, your mistakes on the past, with a, with a uh, suffering heart. You can reflect on the past looking for wisdom Going over and saying, "How should I have done that? What would have been the skillful thing to say that that would be all right, but that doesn't that should not be accompanied by a sense of guilt and disappointment in yourself that 's not helpful what 's helpful is an attempt to see the mistakes that you made, understand your motives, and improve them so it 's very important that you understand that uh, Guilt and remorse regarding the past is not recommended by the Buddha at all. You are to allow yourself to be free off the hook. But in the present and future, that's called hiri otapa, fear and shame regarding uh, your activities. Now, shame about what? A sense of uh, concern for the opinion of the wise. And you should have people that you look up to that are skillful and you think now what would they think of this way I'm behaving now what would they think of this that what I'm thinking what I'm saying what I'm doing because I want good uh, coaching I want to listen to those who are wise now look what happens to people who don't listen to people who are wise Uh, they they end up in disastrous lives they don't take good advice so you don't want to be one of those and fear you the fear of having a bad life you need to be concerned about your future the buddha recommends this you need you have loving kindness for yourself you don't want you want pain you don't want any sorrow in your life you don't want to have do stupid things that uh, you will later regret so you have a good solid sense of of concern for your own safety and, and everybody else's safety, and appreciation of the opinion of the wise about what is skillful to do in life. And those, those things feel good. That is, that you, you should have a, a good concern for your own safety.
1: Our next question is from Chittapala in Vancouver, Canada. Even after being on the path a long time, I still have trouble understanding metta as a concentration practice. I have always seen metta as those lovely sayings we say at the end of meditation, always focusing on samadhi or vipassana. Metta never feels embodied at home. I did, however, discover that after longer retreats, especially at Birken, that when I reached deeper levels of samadhi, while I didn't feel metta during it, I certainly left with an embodied experience of metta afterwards— any suggestions of how to get to an embodied experience of metta wherever I am and how metta is seen as a concentration practice?
0: Well, it's, it's seen as a concentration practice. It can be a, a deep samadhi practice. You can, you can enter into these states of, of profound stillness. But uh, you also need to just, the, the words that we say, the little phrases, may I be well, happy and peaceful, very, very nice things to say. Um, but they're, they're not, that isn't meta. That is the, that's the menu. Uh, you've gone to the restaurant, got the menu and ate the menu. (laughs) Uh, Or took the menu home with you because you like the, the handwritten calligraphy on it. Uh, this is not the food. This is the, the, what, what the, an indication of what the food that you want to order. So the meta is the food. Not the phrases, not the words, none of those things. Those are just uh, inductions. And you should think about this as inductions, uh, you know, like induction like hypnosis. <laughs> You're trying to convince yourself. You're trying to talk yourself into a, a supernormal state. And, and loving kindness, when it is, has been accomplished, is supernormal. It, 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 it lightens you up and levitates you off the ground. And uh, not really, <laughs> uh, I mean in a poetic sense. Uh, you will walk on air, you will be lighter, you will be free of all fear. You're, the difficulties of the world evaporate with this. And so that is where you're going. And you need to talk yourself into it. And if you can't talk yourself into it, I will. <laughs> Some Use the voice of another Use the writings of another. Use resources, whatever you need. Uh, Poems, uh, music, uh, video, uh, movies, literature, uh, audio, the voice, uh, the sounds of nature, whatever it is that helps you get in there. These are all just means to an end, and use any of them to get there including of course meditation so going to a monastery sitting in meditation in a, a beautiful quiet place being encouraged by encouraged by others are just means to an end and this end is the supernormal condition of loving kindness now if we can just get just get kissed by this it'll be worth the whole package it much more worth why would you go through life it's if you could have this supernormal experience, why would you go through without it? So we we were quite willing to to pay top dollar for this, and all it most of these things are offered freely anyway. So you really don't have there is no money involved. So you need to uh, use any resource you can to imbibe this, to taste it, to feel its nourishment, and to. Uh, let it transform and get the feeling of it then you will have no doubt about it and then it's just a matter of like how did i do that i gotta get back there one of these days i gotta figure out how make a map how do i how did i get there and i gotta go back there again so this is this is the process of cultivating loving kindness and these are the development of skills as well so don't be sad satis- don't be satisfied with with anything less than some a five-star kind of uh, experience. <clears throat> this is uh, definitely gourmet uh, dining. And if you come out of there, if you come out of that loving-kindness retreat with a taste of cardboard in your mouth, you didn't, get to the, you didn't order the food at the restaurant. You ate the menu. So make sure you, you, you use the menu only as a guidance, and then you really should feel profoundly and deeply nourished by the actual experience, and accept nothing less.
1: The next question is from Jeff I. in Kamloops, Canada. My question is, what role does loving-kindness play in death and dying, both for the person dying and those close to them? I know equanimity is important, as is a deep understanding of impermanence, but I'm unsure exactly how metta would be best utilized.
0: Yes, Jeff. Uh you know, I will I want as we go along in the talks, I will get into some of the benefits of loving kindness, uh, especially the last couple of talks. Uh and one of the specific benefits of loving kindness is that one is, at the, at the time of death, one is without fear and without confusion. Uh but it requires that you practice a lot ahead of time. Now, people you know i don't know why they delay the practice but if you invest in this practice of loving kindness when it comes time to die one dies without fear and so this is such an important thing uh, it may be difficult to pull up, pull it off just a minute before you you die you know why would one have waited so long you know you're not you're feeling sick and all this kind of stuff so you can you can uh Your own practice of loving-kindness can be brought to those who are uh, so-called dying. And by the way, uh, here's where we... This is the Buddhist attitude. I have lots of people who work in uh, hospices or uh, serve in hospices, go to hospices, and of course, hospitals as well. And there's this feeling that the people in the hospice are, are special people. They're dying. And everybody who's visiting them isn't. But that isn't the fact, is it? Everybody's dying. The people in the hospice, the people visiting the hospice, the doctors in the hospice, everybody's dying. Everybody, the the newborn baby is dying. We're all headed for this door. And there's nothing strange or abnormal about that. That is ordinary, normal. Everything is normal. To be sick is normal. Uh, to be headed towards death is normal, and we, there's no point in when you're s- sick and have it saying you don't, you can't last another week. To suddenly be afraid of this situation, to suddenly be alarmed by it, you should be alarmed. The moment a child can understand language, they should be told, you know, you're dying. <laughs> uh, this is not should not be news to anybody. Uh, there is another word for dying. It's a very exotic word. It's called living. So the process of living is exactly the same process as dying. There is no distinction between the two. In fact, there is, nobody is dying, everybody's living. It's just like, what is the quality of your living experience right up to the end? And so the best quality of a living experience... And by the way, whether you're sick or not, and it's perhaps even especially if you're sick, loving kindness is the best possible medicine for that. It will give you the, the most relief of pain and distress possible. So it is advisable in all situations. It's advisable to practice loving kindness for children, for People, teens, every age, every category of age, and, it, and it, there is absolutely no exemption for those who are in the hospice about to die. That is exactly what they sh- should be receiving all through their lives, and also that they can give that all through their lives. And the fact that you're approaching death is no reason to let go of your practice of loving-kindness. You one should be encouraged to practice the loving kindness. Of course, uh, here's here's a little advice as well about what to talk to a person who's so-called dying. And one of them is don't. People tend to dwell on on remorse and negative things that they might have done, or they regret, or things bad things that happened to them at that time. If if they're If they're open to the message, you should discourage them from thinking, remembering any bad things they've done. Do not think about bad things you've done. Think about good things you have done. And some people will say, I don't remember many good things I've done. But did you ever say good morning? Did you ever say, have you had a coffee? Have you ever opened a door for somebody? Have you ever smiled at anybody? Have you ever petted a dog, you know, a cat? Uh, Any of those things are your good deeds. They're positive contributions to the world. Go back and remember those things. And don't just remember them once. Go over them again and again and again. And avoid memories of any negative things. You don't have to do this. There's, There's all kinds of wacky ideas about being honest and all this kind of stuff forget the honesty you don't have to be dishonest but it's not necessary to go through with a fine-tooth comb all of the acts that you have committed in your life uh, quite often out of just ignorance you just didn't know any better you didn't know that there were alternatives so especially at the time as you approach death avoid that kind of negative emotion stuff Uh, concentrate on good deeds you have done encourage that person to think about good deeds they have done and if you happen to have known them, find a few things that, re- that you remember that they once smiled at you, once said good morning to you, uh, that you know somebody that, that had a good experience with them. So this is uh, important uh, to bring to the, this experience near the end of life and to remember that nothing unusual is happening, everything is normal. Uh, death is not abnormal it 's totally normal it 's not something most people, although they fear death uh, they don 't know anything about it so they 're you know maybe it 's a good thing it 's a good experience they 're about to have Why are they why are they so afraid it 's basically because it 's unknown and so they 're the best way to face the unknown is with a relaxed and uh, a heart full of goodwill, and loving-kindness. So that's in brief um, how loving-kindness can be applied at that stage of life.
1: The next question is from Sarah in Chicago in the United States. The experience I've had with guided meditation has been more instruction progression-based. That is, first A, then B, then C. How is the guided session that was offered used to develop metta? In other words, would the guide be used after the body-mind relaxes as points of contemplation, as a result developing a deeper sense of metta, what it is and how to get there?
0: Well, of course, we've only had two talks so far and a little bit of guided meditation. But I I guarantee you that we will go into every possible nuance of loving-kindness. There's 10 talks every possible way to develop it and what it feels like and how to induce it so this is uh something that you need to induce and so i give you a few simile i've given you a few similes already and one of them is getting into a hot tub so basically uh because you are at home on this retreat you can uh, get into a hot tub and listen to the the dhamma talk while you're in a hot tub (laughs) right up to your neck get into the bathtub and think so this is kind of what he's talking about, so fresh air coming in and nice and warm uh and gravity free the 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 Your body is gravity free, your head is cool and untroubled, and your body is warmed and suspended, and so there's some hints about what it might feel like what is going through your mind positive thoughts about other beings or sympathetic thoughts about other beings how how you know uh, how people are stranded in different difficult uh situations with uh, people responsible for their lives who are ignorant and so forth and uh, may be violent and abusive and all this kind of stuff so you you, you start to feel great sympathy for this and when you do your heart opens and you will experience this so we will have many uh, types of talks which will help you induce this uh, experience and the Buddha will use various similes and and stories to induce this uh, this feeling and as i mentioned Earlier with, uh, uh, I think when I was answering Chitapala's question, I rec- recommended that you use uh, all kinds of means to do this, uh, including poetry, literature, videos, music, um, the association with uh, big-hearted people, wise, compassionate people. These are all ways of uh, bringing this into reality. Yeah, it's a full immersion kind of uh, education for yourself.
1: Our next question is a combined question. You spoke about how metta can be used to reduce or eliminate chronic pain in the last tea time. But I'm finding the pain is making it difficult to concentrate on metta. In addition to removing afflictive emotions and ensuring that consciousness is not under duress... How does one find their way into meta while experiencing physical pain?
0: Yes, uh, well, yes, pain can be distracting, but at the same time you you more or less stand aside from yourself and feel as if you were looking on yourself. There is a being in pain. Look at this being in pain, feeling this pain. And so in the same way that when we look at another person who's, Groaning and moaning, and obviously in pain we we immediately well, for most people or uh normal people the a feeling of of sympathy arises so stand aside from yourself and see yourself as just this creature, this being, the helpless trapped in a body with up uh, not of its own making, even the body just arrives, grows by itself and and gets injured and sick by itself, and the the poor, helpless owner of this body is, is left with it. And that that person is not you or anything. Like that is a very, just a universal being there. You are now just a universal being throbbing with knee pains or back pains or neck pains or headaches and so forth. Look at yourself that way. And you can then feel a flush of warmth and sympathy and that flush of warmth and sympathy kind of releases some sort of uh, pain relievers in the body. But you really have to develop this in your imagination. You have to talk to yourself in a very tender way. And if you can't, then play some the voice of another. So the, the Buddha is very big on this. He's, why does he spend his whole life talking to people? Because he realizes that some people walk away from a single talk by the Buddha Hearing authenticity in their voice, a genuine care, and a a solution to the the pain of life, they walk away from that having overcome all kinds of suffering and pain in their life. They walk away with this alleviation of pain. So if you can find voices that talk to you, that help you uh, develop this feeling, then... Listen to them because quite often you're weak when you're, you're in pain, you, you feel weak and even nauseated. So just listen to the voice of another that, it wor- that works for you. Not, not everybody's voice works for, works for, uh, for everybody. Some, some people's tone is very confident and assertive. Others are very gentle and so forth. And, and certain tones of voices work for you and others don't. So find the ones that were, even if they're supposed to be great or magnificent, if it doesn't work for you, it's of no use. It has to work for you. So find the voice of another that talks you into this, and that soothes that that, uh, experience of pain.
1: This question was from Brian in Penticton, Canada. Typically when I meditate, I try to focus on breathing and not thinking. With metta, should I be contemplating the dhamma talk, or should I try to keep my mind clear and reflect after the sitting?
0: Yes, I I think with metta particularly, uh, one needs this thing called vitaka vichara, which means uh, thinking and pondering. This is your induction. These are images, themes, words, uh, which... Help you enter into this condition of loving kindness, and you need that's the preliminary, and that's what's called the the first uh, the first uh, jhana, the first deep stage of, of this. So it's all right uh, to use um, language and uh, imagery to induce this condition, so it's not necessary that you want to keep your mind clear. Uh, Breath meditation is primarily for the reduction of discursive activity. So that is the discourse, the the conversation which is relentlessly going on in our head is a, a problem. And we would like to shut that thing down sometimes. And breath meditation is one of the best ways to shut that thing down. There's nothing to talk about with breath. There's only to breathe but loving kindness is not one of those things the primary purpose of loving kindness is to overcome aversion ill will hostility irritability and uh, in fact uh, lo- uh, hatred uh, that's the primary purpose of loving kindness is to eliminate those that uh, that spectrum of uh, ill will from from the from the, from the heart, the purpose of breath meditation is to reduce the amount of self-talk that you have. But the talk, the right kind of talk can be useful for you in metta meditation, loving-kindness. So talk away to yourself or get a voice of another, including these, and one of the reasons why we're recording all of this, so that you can listen to this stuff again and again and if possible I can talk you into that good feeling. Point you towards that. And if my voice doesn't work, find somebody's who does.
1: Our next question is from Jennifer in Brisbane, Australia. And there were a couple questions dealing with anger and hurt feelings, and hers sums it up quite well. In relation to yesterday's tea time, Ajahn Sona spoke about loving kindness to ourselves. I'm still struggling to know what self talk pattern I need to have. When I'm wanting to be kind to myself, how do I do what Ajahn is saying? That is, how to hold the tension that exists when others and family have a well-worn pattern of demonstrating non-kind behaviors to, on, and at me? This is where I struggle. Could Ajahn provide a real practical example, perhaps using fake names, or being, being kind to oneself in the scenario that I've just described?
0: fake names. <laughs> well, Dave. <laughs> so, uh, look, uh, it's, this is the, the big hurdle for many people in the West is, uh, loving kindness for oneself <clears throat> and trying to having a sense of self image, which is given by others. So you you mentioned your family, not, not talking to you in a nice way and et cetera. That obviously we have to have a strategy where it doesn't matter what anybody says. We're not interested in their assessment of our self-worth or our, our, um, our appreciation of loving-kindness. We're not interested because they're not skilled. So I talk quite a bit about the voice of another, listening to the voice of another, but not any voice. The voice of a wise and loving person talking to you, that's the voice you want to listen to. And... And of course, that means that you're not to listen to the voice of ignorant, angry people. You don't hear them. You just don't. They, there's just noise in the air. It's just a dog barking. Do you care what the dog is barking at? The, bar, the dog is trying to say something, but it's just a dog barking. And an ignorant person is saying no more than a dog, just reacting to in, in in uh, ways to the world. And so you don't listen to those. Those are the voices you don't listen to. No interest whatsoever. You don't care about their tone and they it's never justified. Uh, even if you have a failing, if you're if you have not done something correctly and they're hostile or angry, there's still it's uh, not worth listening to the hostility or anger. It might be worth listening to some way of improving your your behavior or something like that but uh, ignore the tone ignore the tone so you listen to induce this you listen to the tone of voice of wise and kindly people and you do not listen to anybody else's uh voice next uh your voice talking to yourself is not when you talk to yourself with loving kindness you do not talk uh You do not set up any conditions for your, uh, for the goodwill. You don't have to qualify. And in fact, if you have to qualify, it's not loving kindness. So you get this for free without any qualifications. So you don't ask yourself whether you're good or bad or Uh, skilled, or unskilled, or ignorant, or any, you don't ask yourself any of these questions, you just get the loving kindness. You can also, if you want, imagine yourself as a child, maybe uh, get a class picture when you're seven years old, especially because that you tend to have lost your front teeth at that time, and you, you get to smile into your class picture with no front teeth. It's very very endearing. Now, really, what sort of hostility could you have for a seven-year-old child? Is there nothing but goodwill? You were a seven-year-old child, so if you have to have your hold yourself out there as a, as a simple a child trying to figure their way through life, to negotiate and deal with all of these challenges and 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 uh, people and difficulties and the competitiveness, and then of course saddled with a body that you didn't make yourself, it just it just grew by itself, you have no idea how the thing even works. This is your situation in life. Have some sympathy for this and say the best thing I can do for this being, you, this being, this you're just a universal being, you're just a being in the universe. The best thing I can do for this is flood it with goodwill, hope for its well-being and safety, and learn the skills how to negotiate and navigate through this life with minimal suffering and if you do this you'll be a very important person for others as well so this is the way you talk to yourself you get you get a free pass for the feeling you don't have to qualify for it it is not tomorrow it's not based on behavior nothing so later on in the talks i will go into this extensively that this is unconditional no strings attached And uh, I think I have a talk where I say, turn it up to 11. So make it it, um, so that the neighbors can hear. (laughs) Any others?
1: We have our final question.
0: Final question. Okay.
1: From Anonymous in France. Some talk about body self-acceptance instead of loving oneself. Should we start practicing self-acceptance first and then move on to loving oneself? Is acceptance good enough? And could we end up loving ourselves too much? I have met people who I feel love themselves too much, and it's not very nice to be around those types of people.
0: Well, there's nothing personal about the the love for yourself or for anybody else. So you don't have to have body acceptance. You don't have to... The people who love themselves too much are they love some aspect of themselves. They love their, their wit, their intelligence, their beauty, their skills, their, their money, their whatever. That is not loving kindness. None of those are, those are all conditions. So you get, your, your loving kindness is for with whatever condition your body is in. Small, middling, large, near, far away, deformed, perfect, uh, missing parts, not missing parts, not a, none of those are questions on the exam at all, you know, they're not on the exam. Actually the exam is a blank page, just, just radiate loving-kindness, it's just kind of a shivering, shimmering color. <laughs> there is no being there, there's no body there, there's no intelligence there, you know, it's not stupid, not smart, not talented, not untalented, not big, not small, not medium, not missing, not, not perfect, not imperfect. No, that's not being asked on this piece of paper. There's just a shimmering kind of blue, co- blue color there. That's all. Love it. <laughs> Love the shimmering blue color. It's, it's, it's entirely separate from who, who you are, who, who your neighbor is, whether it's a dog, whether it's a person, uh, any of those things are in uh, completely not on the exam don 't use those things on the exam that is not loving kindness and you can never love anybody or yourself too much there 's no conditions attached it 's always good and and deepen it because it 's not love for yourself or for another it 's just loving kindness it 's not really for beings it 's just loving kindness and the benefit of it and you're the primary recipient of that you're the primary beneficiary of this and you do it without any considerations you, the, you don't ask for the passport first you don't ask for the your high school grade average or anything like this it's just not not the case none of those things are factors so we have arrived at uh, an hour or so of this and uh, I, I appreciate the questions. They've been wonderful so far. Very easy. To make. You made my life easy. Thank you for your loving kindness and asking just the right kind of questions for me to answer.